Today's scripture reading comes from the book of Acts, chapter 2, verses 1 through 18. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all gathered together in one place. And suddenly from heaven there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues, as of fire, appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. Now there were devout Jews from every nation living under heaven, living in Jerusalem. And at this time, the crowd gathered and was bewildered because each one heard them speaking in the native language of each. Amazed and astonished, they asked, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, in our own languages we hear them speaking about God's deeds of power. All were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others sneered and said, they are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and listen to what I say. Indeed, these are not drunk, as you suppose, for it is only nine o'clock in the morning. No, this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. In the last days it will be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even upon my slaves, both men and women, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God.
Amen. What's it like? What's it like? What's it like? That's the question that I get around every corner in most days. What's it like to do ministry virtually? What's it like in your state? What's it like at the grocery store? What's it like being out and about? And for the most part, all of that is drastically different. Uh, It's way different to go out to my favorite uh, brewery or restaurant. It's way different to go to the grocery store. It's interesting to talk to my family that lives in Texas to know that things are so different there for them. But some things have stayed the same. I still prepare for a sermon in the same way. Preaching, it's a little different. I don't know exactly where to look. We have some cameras. There's some people sitting here. I can't tell if people are engaged, if they're falling asleep, if Del Dillard's telling me to hurry up. I don't know. There's no one sitting here. I never know. But one thing has stayed the same, and that's the sound in the sanctuary. Like many of you, I grew up a United Methodist. I grew up in a church much like Central with great music and great preaching But it wasn't really a charismatic space. It was a pretty silent Sunday experience, save for maybe a little bit of laughing at a preacher's corny joke or maybe the occasional hand clap when the anthem is so beautiful. But it was silent. It was silent. I remember early on at my time at Duke, I was in a preaching class, and as I was going along in the sermon I had prepared, a classmate of mine, obviously not a Methodist, called out, Amen! I froze immediately. I was unsure of how to proceed. I looked around to make sure I hadn't stumbled into the wrong class, the free church worship class or otherwise. But then the voice came again. Come on, preacher. Go ahead, preacher. Come on, preacher. And I felt it. I felt it. It was was a feeling I had felt a few times before, a twinge, a warmth, the feeling of new breath, new energy in my lungs. That is what we celebrate today on Pentecost Sunday. You know, Pentecost Sunday for most churches is the closest we ever get to those enlivened shouts of amen and hallelujah. We all wear red. I hope some of you are wearing red at your house. The choir sings loud and beautiful anthems, and the organ sounds like it's turned up to 11. You heard that as Corey and Patrick played today. We have cause to celebrate. It's the beginning. It's the beginning. It's our birthday, the birthday of the church The Holy Spirit is alive and on full display, and we celebrate it with banners and songs. We celebrate the Spirit descending on the disciples in the second chapter of Acts, and how it changed their lives, how it changes our lives, how it changed the life of the church and the world. Now, our scripture this morning is from the book of Acts. This was a book that was written by the same author as the book of Luke. So sometimes you'll hear it referred to as Luke-Acts, or sometimes you'll hear it entitled the Acts of the Apostles. But as I read this week, I wondered if maybe the title wasn't as accurate, the Acts of the Apostles. Because it seems like every time the apostles try to act, they kind of get it wrong and lucky for them, the Spirit comes up from behind them. You see, in Acts chapter 1, they have this great idea. We're going to select our, our new disciple. We'll come up with a new one. We'll figure it out. We'll roll dice. We'll use Robert, Robert's rules of order. We'll get it all figured out. And then the Holy Spirit comes a chapter later to push them out into the world and to show them that it's different. And then after that, they immediately go back. Well, how are we going to organize this new church? What's it going to look like? And then the Spirit has to come back again and move them. So I wonder, I wonder if we could call this the Acts of the Holy Spirit. 
Well, we begin in chapter 2, and the disciples are all gathered in uh, a small secluded room away from others that seems to be kind of their locale these days. We saw them there when we learned about Thomas. They like to gather away from others. This is the norm now. But then suddenly, behind these locked doors, these closed doors, the sound of a great wind fills the room. It surrounds them. It, it fills their lungs. They, they have a new life. Suddenly there's a fire in their hearts and on their heads. They begin to proclaim and shout in all manner of languages, ones they knew and ones they didn't know. This wind opens the doors, opens the windows. It carries them out onto the street, and a crowd gathers. The disciples continue to shout the goodness, the gospel message of God's power to all who will hear it in languages that all can understand. And the scripture said some were amazed by this proclamation, while others sneer, these people must be drunk. But luckily for us and for that crowd, the, the tongue of fire that was resting on Peter was a language that we could all understand. And the Holy Spirit speaks through Peter and uses Peter to remind the crowd of the words of the prophet Joel. That now that time has come when the Holy Spirit will come to all people, men and women, young and old oppressed and free. You see, friends, this is the beginning of the church. This is our beginning. And there's a funny thing about beginnings. T.S. Eliot kind of gets it right in his poem, Little Gidding. He says, what we call the beginning is often the end. And to make an end is to make a beginning. The end is where we start from. The end is where we start from. It's almost as if that, that Holy Spirit that was there the day at Pentecost was that same spirit, the same ruah, the same breath that hovered over the waters before time existed at creation. That it was the breath that was used as the dust was gathered up and breathed into to bring light. It was as if it was the breath that was in the lungs of the prophets and now in the lungs of the disciples. It's as if that Holy Spirit is trying to tell us that this is what we are striving for. This is the end that we want for the world. I once heard it said that the Holy Spirit is God's imagination at work. And in Acts chapters 2, we see God's imagination on full display. People from every nation, every race, every creed, hearing and experiencing the goodness of Jesus Christ, hearing the liberating power of love and justice for all. It was not a church bound up by an upper room or a building, but it was a church that was out on the road, one with arms wide open. That is the beginning of the church. That is the vision for the future. That should be the end that we strive for. Last week, we heard an incredible word from Bishop Crutchfield, a man that I consider a mentor and friend. And Bishop Crutchfield reminded us that the cross is still speaking even today that the empty cross of Easter is not our climactic end of the story, but rather the beginning, the dramatic beginning of a new life and a new journey. And that's very true. And as Methodists, though, we have a symbol that goes a little bit further, one that adorns the front of our hymnals, one that's on our church's logo. You might even see it tattooed on the arm of a youth minister from time to time. But that symbol is the cross and the flame. Did you catch that? The cross and the flame. 
Now, why is that? Why did we include the flame? I mean, by all accounts, I wouldn't have called John Wesley notably charismatic or or flamboyant or out there. He was a reserved man, an Anglican. You know, they were even more silent than Methodists. They don't even laugh at the jokes. He was an Oxford don. He understood religion. He understood polity in the scriptures. He was devout. He knew that the cross was speaking in the world, but there was something missing. He, He felt a lack. And then one night at Aldersgate, you know the story, as he was gathered with friends and they sang and read scripture, he felt his heart strangely warmed. And he felt the Spirit. He felt the Spirit, one that was calling him not to just continue with life as normal. He felt the Spirit that was calling him to push the boundaries of a church that was becoming too civil, too tame, too bound up. And so we keep that symbol in front of us, the cross and the flame, and we would do well to have it remind us that it is pushing our boundaries, remind us not to become too civil, too tame. The cross still has a word for this broken world, and the Spirit, the Spirit is still pushing the church into action. And when I was thinking about this, I was reminded of a story I heard. It's from Reverend Tom Long. He's a a professor over at the Candler School of Theology, and he tells a story of some of his earliest days in ministry. You see, he, like me, was a a young preacher and associate minister somewhere, and so he got up on Sunday morning during announcements and said, I'm going to be leading a new Sunday school class. It's going to be so great. Next week, I'll be starting it. It'll be just down the hall, and it's a confirmation class for the whole church. Anyone from all grades, children to adults, they can come and they can learn. And he prepared the lesson all week, He marched down the hall after service to the classroom, expecting a throng of willing participants. As he opened the door, to his surprise and a little bit to his dismay, there were three elementary-age girls sitting there with notebooks, and that was it. Trying to hide his disappointment, he went to the blackboard and began to teach anyway. He asked, now do you know what Pentecost is? Trying to start them at the beginning of the church. Well, they all shook their heads and said no. So Dr. Long began to explain. He said, well, Pentecost was when the church was, you know, seated together, maybe in a circle, and tongues of fire came down, and a big wind came and landed on their heads, and they were filled with with new breath, and they spoke the gospel in all the languages of the world. Now, two of the girls took that pretty calmly, jotting it down in their notebook, but one seemed a little puzzled. She raised her hand and said, Pastor Long, I I think my family was absent on that Sunday. I think my family was absent on that Sunday. Now, the beauty of this story is, is not the kids say the darndest things, but it's that this misunderstanding of the young girl is because she believed that that could still happen. That she believed that the Spirit was powerful enough that it could still take hold of her church, that it could still bring about the kingdom of God here, and now it could still take the church by the hand and lead them out. That she still believed that the Holy Spirit had the power to come behind the locked doors of our homes, our churches, our hearts, and to stir in us the lively, untamed burning of fire for love and justice that this world so desperately needs. The beauty was that she still believed that the Holy Spirit would prevail in melting the hearts of the skeptics, that the Holy Spirit would prevail in bringing young people and old people and men and women and black and white people together to proclaim that everyone who calls on the Lord will be saved, that everyone without exception is a child of God, loved, cherished, 
and cared for by the community called the church. And that that church would be a shining example to the world of what love, equality, and justice would be like. Oh, if we could still feel that spirit. It took me so long to feel that spirit this week. It took me so long to realize that the spirit was still moving. But luckily for me, I've been blessed to have friends and mentors throughout my life that continue to speak and that I'm constantly reminded of. And, and one of them, I was uh, reminded of his bravery and, and his ministry. And his name is uh, Reverend Dr. Jesse Brunson. He was my mentor during my time in Durham. Some of you might have met Pastor Jesse. He, uh, after retirement, came out of retirement to serve a church in Lumberton that our church goes and serves with often. Now, he taught me many things about ministry, like one, you should wear a suit on the Sundays in which you're preaching, and two, you should always come prepared. But three was every time you feel the Spirit moving, even if it's pulling you in a different direction, that you would do well to lean into that Spirit, to follow that Spirit. And I would see him live this out on various Sundays, particularly when things were difficult in the world Pastor Jesse would always come with his manuscript typed up and placed in a, a three-ring binder. All the pages slipped into nice page coverings. He would flip through as he read methodically, delivering his sermons in a thoughtful manner. But every once in a while, every once in a while, he would close his manuscript. He would take a step from behind the pulpit, and you'd almost see him get a little bit lighter. He would get a little bit lighter almost. And then suddenly he would say, well, I wasn't going to say this, or, you know, I have one more story, and then I'm finished, just if you would permit me. And then you would see that spirit come over him. He wasn't fettered any longer by the pulpit or the manuscript. He would begin to preach in a voice that almost seemed like it wasn't his own. And I was reminded of that this week. I was reminded of that this week. So if you would permit me, I have one more story, and then I'm finished. One of the things that Pastor Jesse would tell me is, Patrick, you should say the title of your sermon in your sermon. I never really understood that, but today I will say it to you. The title of my sermon is, Every Time I Feel the Spirit. I love that hymn, Every Time I Feel the Spirit. And you know how the rest of the verse goes, Moving in my heart, I will pray. Every time I feel the Spirit moving in my heart, I will pray. And you know, sometimes prayer is silence. Sometimes it's prayer in a group. But right now, friends, I think that prayer should look like action. I was reminded of Rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel. He marched next to Dr. King in Selma, and you can see him standing there with Dr. King in all of the photographs. He made the very long walk, and when he was done, one of his friends said, Now, Rabbi Heschel, did you find any time to pray while you were marching? Rabbi Heschel stopped. He, he looked at his friend, and he responded, I felt like I was praying with my legs. I felt like I was praying with my legs. Friends, we've come to a time where it's no longer enough to decry the atrocities of racism and senseless murder. It's not enough to just write things or offer our thoughts and prayers. We must confront inequality. We must fight for, injust for justice. We must be emboldened enough to proclaim that the lives of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, and Ahmaud Arbery do indeed matter, and that they are beloved children of God. We must be pushed by the Holy Spirit to take our feet and, and take them out and put them on the road out there 
that we must work and work and work until justice rolls down like water and righteousness like a never-ending stream. We must take our feet to the road, praying as we walk towards a future where all people can hear the good news of God's unfailing love, grace, mercy, and justice for all. In the words of Dr. Cornell West, he says, justice is what love looks like in public. Justice is what love looks like in public. It is my hope that our end will be like our beginning, that we will not be people bound up in our homes, worried about social pressures or what we will say or do, that we won't shut ourselves up in our churches or in our boxes of our own making, that when we feel the spirit blowing, when we feel that great wind, when we feel the breath of God in our lungs, we won't ignore it but that we will be thrust into action, that we can do nothing but shout for joy, that we can do nothing but go out into the world to bring love, a love that passes all human understanding, and that the fire, the fire of Pentecost Sunday will burn in our hearts, and that it will continue to burn in our hearts until there is truly justice for all people, when the captives are set free and the sons and daughters prophesy of a day when the Spirit of God the spirit that was breathed into our lungs at creation, that that spirit will be for all people. That every time we feel the spirit moving in our hearts, that we would pray with our voices, with our actions, and with our love. Friends, the service is almost over. So where will we go and what will we do? I pray that we would go into the world emboldened by the Holy Spirit to proclaim the love and justice that is in the life of Jesus Christ. Amen.